Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 33. The storm was over, and the raindrops on tree, shrub, and flower glittered like untold wealth of diamonds in the bright rays of the newly risen sun. As Clendenin and Nell walked down the street together, there was nothing in the looks or manner of either to excite curiosity or suspicion in those who saw them pass. He left her at her brother's door with a half-playful order, not from the lover but the physician, to take some breakfast and go directly to bed and to sleep. Not promise, she answered saucily, lifting a pair of bright, ruglish, smiling eyes to his face. I have not resigned my liberty yet, you know. Ah, well, I think I may count on obedience, he said with the grave, tender smile that had first won her heart. I want you to rest all day and let me come to you this evening, he whispered, bending down to speak close to her ear. I have much to tell you, my darling. You have a right to know what so long prevented my lips from repeating the story you must have read a thousand times in my eyes, if they spoke the true language of my heart. Never mind, I am quite content without the knowledge, if, as you fa your face seems to say, it is something painful she said with generous confidence and sudden gravity of looks and tone. Nay, dearest, you shall hear it. I will have no secrets from her who is to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, the nearest and dearest of all created beings, he said, lifting her hands to his lips. Her eyes filled with happy, grateful tears as from the vine covered porch where they had had their chat. She watched him hurrying away down the street, then turned and went into the house. Was that Dr. Clennanan? asked Claire, meeting her in the hall. Yes. Why didn't he come in and take breakfast with us? I didn't ask him. You didn't? Nell Lamar, I'm ashamed of your rude behavior to that man. If he treats you henceforth with the coldest politeness, I'm sure it will be no more than you deserve. A curious smile trembled about the corners of Nell's lips for an instant, then was gone. Flora has passed the crisis, she remarked, and the doctor says we'll get well if she has proper care. Oh, I am glad. Can you take my place for today? He wouldn't let me stay, and her mother would kill her with the fretting and worrying. No wonder he wouldn't let you stay. You look wretchedly teared. Yes, I'll go over presently. You'd better eat your breakfast at once and go directly to bed. I will, Nell answered with unaccustomed meekness, and proceeded to redeem her promise without delay. Kenneth, too, needed rest after his wearisome journey and long night vigil, but did not seek it to a letter telling of his great happiness had been written to the dear ones at Glen Forest and sent to the mail by Zeb. Nell came down at tea-time to find the Major alone in the parlor. He looked up on her entrance with a smile that brought swift blushes to her cheek, then rose and came to meet her. "'I know all about it, Nell,' he said, giving her a brotherly kiss. "'You have made me very happy by the wisdom of your choice. I shall be proud of my new brother. Ah, here he is just coming in at the gate. You must let me share the pleasure of his society now.' and after tea I will take care that you have the parlor to yourselves. 
Kenneth's eyes shone at sight of his betrothed. Sleep had refreshed her and restored her bloom in her simple white dress, with no ornaments save a few delicate, sweet-scented blossoms. At her throat and in her hair was very becoming. The Major kept his word, and early in the evening they found themselves so occupants of the parlor. Then seated by her side, with her hand in his, Kenneth told the story of his birth and the accompanying tragedy, then went on to tell of the removal of his supposed parents to Glen Forest, and of the life there. He described his childhood as bright and happy, Angus and he believed themselves, and were believed by others to be twins. They were devotedly attached and almost inseparable. The parents made no difference between them, and indeed had no reason for so doing, as they were entirely unable to decide which of the two was their own child. The boys knew nothing about the circumstances attending their birth, except that at or near that time there had been an attack by the Indians in which their mother's stepfather had been slain, and that the shock had killed his wife, she being just then very ill and weak. They could perceive that their mother was at times oppressed with sad memories of that fearful past. But for the most part was, she was very cheerful, and they found her ever ready to sympathize with them in joy as well as grief. The father was inclined to be somewhat strict in his discipline, but kind and genial, a parent whom they sincerely loved and respected. Nell listened with intense interest, wondering within herself, too, why the doubt as to which of the two couples were his true parents should have been, as she began to perceive that it had, a reason why Dr. Clannanan should feel that marriage was not for him. In either case his birth was not ignoble. He paused, seeming for a moment lost in painful thought, then casting it off with a slight sigh, went on. Yes, ours was a very happy childhood, till we, Angus and I, were about twelve years old. Then sickness and death came into the family, two little sisters being taken away within a few weeks of each other. The heart of the tender mother seemed well-nigh broken, but alas! The time came when she was unutterably thankful for their early removal to a better land. There were still two little ones, a brother and sister left, and within the next two years Marion was born. Troubles came thick and fast during the first year of her life. There was a great and sudden change in our father. He had received a package of letters and papers from England, and from the hour of their perusal was a strangely altered man silent, morose, disinclined to mix with his fellows, or even with his own family, and at times looking haggard and wretched in the extreme. It was a sad mystery to us boys, but mother, who seemed to have a sorrowful understanding of it, hushed every inquiry into its cause, and would suffer no allusions to it in her presence. A few months later came one of the sorest trials of my life, continued Kenneth, his voice trembling with excess of feeling. Angus, my twin brother, my second self, was accidentally drowned. I cannot dwell upon the particulars, but shall never forget to look of woe. Her white, despairing face, as the dripping corpse was born and laid down before her, not the, nor the strange, unnatural laugh, the expression of mingled agony and triumphant pleasure, with which the father bent over his dead son, saying, It's better so. Wife, why do you grieve? I've no tear to shed for him. 
I was inexpressibly shocked and very angry at what I deemed his heartlessness. This mother saw with deep sorrow she loved her husband devotedly, and could not bear to have him unjustly blamed. She felt, too, that it would be necessary at some time for me to know the fatal secret. So one day, after the grave had closed over all that remained of our loved one, she sought me in my room and told me all. Her husband was an only child, had lost his father by death, shortly before coming to this country. Of his mother he had no recollection, but had always understood that she had died soon after his birth. That, however, was not the case, and those letters from England had revealed to him the fact that she had only just died, at the time when they were written, died in a madhouse, having been in that condition for many years, also that such had been her mother's fate, and that of several others of the family. In short, insanity was undoubtedly hereditary. From the moment of learning all this, he had felt that his doom was sealed, and that of each of his children also. I cannot describe to you the horror and fear that came over me as I listened to the tale. Then mother told me, oh, so gently and tenderly, of the mystery that hung over my birth, leaving, while it almost orphaned me, a faint hope that that fearful curse was not mine. And now you know, sweet one, why, when I would fain have poured into your ear the story of my love, my lips were sealed, I could not ask you to link your life with that of one for whom so sad a fate might be in store. I dare not risk the transmission to future generations of a curse so fearful. But God in his great mercy has sent me the knowledge that it is not mine, he added with a look of deepest gratitude and joy. And I was at times shamefully angry with you, murmured Nell, penitent, tears shining in her eyes. I cannot blame you under the circumstances, he said, smiling tenderly upon her. And this was the explanation of the rumors that reached us of some white woman living among the Indians, giving testimony before the square in regard to some matter of importance to you? Yes. It was Riuma Clark, and he went on to give a narrative of his interview with her, then to finish his story of the life at Glen Forest. The two remaining little ones, older than Marion, had followed Angus to the better land in the course of a few months, leaving her sole inheritor after her father of that terrible ailment. He described in moving words his own and the mother's anxiety for her, and for the wretched husband and father, the wife's life of devotion to him, the long years of fear and care, of untearing sympathy and love, of faith and submission, rewarded at last by seeing him pass peacefully away to another and happier existence, for he had gone trusting in a crucified and risen Savior. Marion still spared to them, was now their one great anxiety, but he was hopeful for her. She had stood some severe tests of late, and it might be he that her mental powers and peculiarities were inherited from her mother's side of the house, or her father's paternal ancestors, all of whom were free from that dreaded ailment. We have endeavored, and thus far, with success, to keep the fatal secret from her, he said, deeming that her danger would be greatly enhanced by the knowledge. She has long known there was a grievous thorn in the Clendenin nest, 
but what it is she does not know, and I trust never will. Her mother and I have also another innocent concealment from her. She still believes that I am her brother by right of birth, and we do not intend that she shall ever know. No, it would be very cruel to rob her of the blessedness of believing that, Nell said, with the sweetest look in her beautiful eyes. To be your sister would be the greatest happiness, except to... But she stopped short, blushing and confused. Except to be something far nearer and dearer? Ah, tell me, that was what you were thinking, he whispered, his eyes shining as he bent his head for a closer look into the sweet, blushing face. Now don't be too inquisitive, Dr. Clennon, and she said in pretended vexation and pretty confusion. Never mind the doctor, he returned gaily. Kenneth is three syllables shorter and easier, but not so respectful. Quite sufficiently so, however. It is Marion's and my mother's name for me, and I hope will be my wife's also, he whispered. Oh, dearest, how soon may I claim the right to call you by that sweetest of names? Ah, oh, don't speak of that yet, she said, hastily, her cheeks crimsoning, her eyes dropping. Forgive me, I am very selfish, she replied, but it must be very soon, or not for long, weary months, while an ocean will row between us, to say nothing of the hundreds of miles of land that will separate us besides. What can you mean, she asked, with a start and look of surprise and dismay. Then he told her of his inheritance in England, and the unfortunate necessity it entailed of a speedy visit there. It could not well be deferred till the ensuing spring, and must therefore be undertaken soon if he would avoid the dangerous storms likely to be encountered in the fall. "'And you must go,' she said, struggling to keep back her tears. "'Yes,' he sighed. "'I cannot tell you how hard it is to think of leaving you just now.' or how sweet it would be to call you mine before I go, and to know that if anything should befall me, you would. Oh, don't, don't, she cried, the tears coming now in good earnest. I can't bear it. I think you might ask me to go with you. Would you? Oh, would you? he exclaimed joyously. My dear girl, how very sweet and kind in you to propose it. Did I? she asked, smiling through her tears. I thought I only suggested the propriety of your asking me. I feel very selfish in so doing, dearest Nell, he said. But will you go? Yes, if you really want me and will take me. Only too gladly. Ah, you cannot doubt that. But have you thought of the long, tedious journey over land and the dangers of the voyage? Yes, and how can I let you meet them alone? "'Ah, my darling, you are the most unselfish of women,' he exclaimed, regarding her with tender, loving admiration, "'and I the happiest of men.' "'But,' said Nell presently, "'you will have a poorly attired bride. I shall have no time to get new dresses made.' "'Very much wiser to wait for that till we reach New York, London, or Paris,' he answered with his grave, tender smile. "'Tis the bird I would secure, sweet one, and I care not for the color or quality of the feathers she may wear.' So it was all settled. After a little more talk, and in a week, they would be setting off for Europe on their wedding tour. Great was Claire's astonishment and delight when she heard the news. Just the match I've always wanted for you, Nell, even when I'd no idea he was going to be so rich. He didn't say it would be riches, returned the young lady, supremely indifferent to such trifles. But I dare say it will. At all events, you're going to Europe for your wedding trip. 
Won't the other girls envy you? Yet I don't know. Nell, I should be afraid of the sea. What if you should be drowned? I hope we shall not, Nell answered gravely. But even if we should, I'd rather die with Kenneth than live without him. And as to the envy the other girls may feel, I should think it would be because of him rather than anything else. She added, her cheeks glowing and her eyes shining. Oh, I suppose so, laughed Claire. It's a great shame, though, that we can't have a grand wedding and elaborate trousseau. Still, the means can be provided for that last, all the same, and it will be lovely to have it bought in Paris. The End Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>